So this morning we are in the last week of our series looking through Mark's Gospel. I don't know about you, but um, I I feel like glad and sad all at the same time. I feel glad because I think it's been a fantastic series. I know that I've got a huge amount of uh, just the privilege that it is to spend so much time in it. And I hope and pray that you guys have got a huge amount out of it as well. But I also hope and pray that it isn't just something that we leave uh, here like at the end of 2018, but that it is actually uh, that the way that we have uh, approached Mark is something that is going to live with us. And I just want to, even just before I read chapter 16 uh, to us, I just want to uh, uh, read a couple of quotes, that uh, one of which I have used throughout this series again and again, and another which is just a great reminder to us of why we've been doing this. But it says, um, uh, throughout Mark, the the disciples display a delight in power, glorious achievements, and personal ambition. They want a Messiah who is above suffering and who will give them their heart's desires. We too want a Messiah who graciously adapts his will to our desires and needs and is dedicated to serve us rather than all humankind. The Messiah we meet in Mark is a rude awakening to those who are more interested in themselves and ensuring their personal, personal salvation and entrance to eternal life than in God or the fate of God's world. And then the quote that I've uh, been reading uh, throughout this series. As was the case during Jesus' ministry, so today many will not believe or will try to mold Christ into their own images by telling him who he is and what he is to do. They want glamorous, gimmicky, short-term solutions to their own problems. Many try to domestic, many try to domesticate the scandal, turn the cross into jewelry, and turn the Christ into a teacher of self-actualization. The Gospel of Mark is the perfect antidote to this distortion as it presents the foundation story of the gospel about Jesus Christ who suffers and dies on a cross. Let's pray. Father, we would all, I think, if we were being honest, confess that we try and shape you. We would all, I think, if we were being honest, confess that we try and make your agenda fit in with ours. And yet, Lord, if you are Lord, if we are right to call you that, if you are God, if we are right to call you that, then it should be you shaping us and our agendas either fitting with yours or being chucked out the window. And so, Lord, as we come to the end of this series, may we not lose what you have taught us through this time and may we not lose this approach to life. The approach that says that because you are who you say you are, we are called to keep in step with you and not the other way around. So on this final Sunday in this series, God, I pray again that you would take my words 
that you would make them yours, that the words of my mouth and the meditation and thoughts of all of our hearts would be pleasing and accepting in your sight, for you are our Lord, you are our God, you are our Redeemer. And because we ask this in the life-giving name of Jesus. Amen. So, Mark chapter 16, Jesus is dead. And then Mark says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then I'm going to read these next few verses, although I don't believe that these are part of Mark's original uh, gospel, verses 9 to 20. Uh, You know, they find themselves in the Bible, and I accept the Bible as it is written and sent and given to us, and in what is known as the canonical approach, what we receive, what we have today, um, is, is all God-breathed and inspired. And so I'm not saying that they are not part of inspired scripture, but I do not believe that they are part of Mark's gospel. Firstly, I don't believe they're part of Mark's gospel, because Mark's gospel is like super exciting, isn't it? It's a million miles an hour. And these verses just don't really read like the rest of Mark's gospel. Secondly, Mark's gospel is the first gospel. It's generally attributed to be the first gospel based on Peter's account. Matthew and Luke come later. John, as many of you will know, is very different. So we have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have John's, which is slightly different. If Mark's gospel was written first, and that would be another reason to think that these aren't actually words that are written by Mark, because they would appear to actually draw on Matthew and Luke's account. And if Mark was written first, then Mark couldn't have Uh, lent on Matthew and Luke's account. However, as I say, that is not to say that they aren't part of inspired scripture and therefore useful, and so I'm going to read them to us anyway, although I don't think they're written by Mark. Make sense? Okay, well, come and talk to me about it sometime. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. This is the road to Emmaus story that we read in Luke's gospel. Um, uh, These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, 
Go into all the world, and, and this is Matthew, think, if you think about it. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, and uh, again, this is Luke. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. I want us to flick back to the very beginning of this series. If you've not been here throughout, then... I'm going to catch you up really quickly, uh, but the rest you're going to have to have to listen to on podcast. Uh, this is a series called Re-Jesus. The reason it is called Re-Jesus, any one of the people who've been here throughout it could stand up and do this wee bit, but I'll do it again just one final time because I absolutely love this. It is called Re-Jesus because it is a, ser- it is a series about Jesus. You know at the top of your bills and that sort of thing, it tells you what it is. So it's like re-the bill that you have to pay or re-your council tax or whatever. This is a series regarding Jesus. It is about Jesus. But also the central premise to this series is this, that we as followers of Jesus, so-called, have allowed our lives to drift so far away from that which the Bible uh, imagines when it speaks of lives of people who follow Jesus. So in other words, we have, we have allowed uh, what we think about Jesus, what we believe about Jesus, how we live out. that we, Because I know that if I ask every, any single one of you this morning, is Jesus the most important thing? Then 99% of you would say, yes, Jesus is the most important thing. And if I said, you know, who do you shape your life upon? You would say, pastor, I shape my life upon Jesus. And then I would say to you, but what about that? And what about that? And what about that? And that? And that? And that? And that? And you guys would say the same to me. And, and, and I'm just being honest. You would say the same to me. You are somebody, you, you're like a professional Christian. Um, and that's a joke. I am not a professional Christian. There's no such thing. But you would say you're a professional Christian. And even your life doesn't look like it is shaped on Jesus. Even your life, we can pick holes in it. And, and, and the problem is that what has happened is that we have become so familiar familiar with the Jesus story. We have become so familiar with Christmas and Jesus meek and mild and no crying he makes that we don't realize that actually what we sing so often is heresy, that what we think so often is sub-biblical, sub-Christian. And the whole point of this series is to say, where has that become the case in our lives and where do we need to address it? So it's a series about Jesus and it's a series to make us more like him. And if you haven't been challenged by it, and you have been here, if you haven't been challenged by it, and you have been here, then, then in, in love, you need to wake up. Okay? You need to wake up. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to begin and continue his work of transformation in your life. Because what we have been doing is grappling and wrestling with Scripture. And that is a good and proper and right thing to do. It is good and fine and right to wrestle with God. But, but, it is us who gets changed as a result of that, not God. 
Okay? And so even as you wrestle and even as you say, oh God, I don't like that bit, it isn't so that he can go, oh, okay, well, well then Chris, I'll change that bit for you so that it fits with you. Okay, it isn't so that like Brian, as he's nearing the end of his uh, walk here on earth, and it's him who says that, he says, you know, I'm wanting to learn more about Jesus even as I'm reaching the end of my earthly pilgrimage. It isn't so God can go, there, there, Brian, let's just make it a nice, comfortable ending or anything like that. It's because God from day one to day to day end wants to be transforming us, isn't it? Do we believe that? Okay, so if you haven't been changed by this series, you need to listen to it all again, and you need to ask, Holy Spirit, will you transform me? Because I have had my ears blocked and my eyes closed. And we get to the end of this series. By the way, if that seemed like a really harsh thing I said about Brian, it, it wasn't meant to be. You know, he's my friend, he's my brother, and he says that to me all the time, you know. So, so it wasn't meant to sound harsh. I realize I might just sound incredibly unpastoral at that moment. Um, but we, 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 reach this ser- we reach the end of this series, and we have to remember where we are. We are at a moment of despair in the lives of the followers of Jesus. We are at a moment of absolute despair. And, and, and we are left in the last chapter with the women standing there at the cross of Jesus. And we meet at the beginning of this chapter, the women going to Jesus. And the first thing that I want to say about the resurrection of Jesus is this. It changes everything. Amen? The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything because we don't have a group of reliable witnesses. In case you don't know, and I'm going to look at her just like with a smile on my face. Women aren't reliable witnesses, are they, Mary? Hey? Amen? No, okay. Mary, gave, Mary and Dan gave um, Emily uh, just a, a fantastic book about, oh, what was the lady's name again? <laughs> Sorry? Rosa Parks, that's it. It's amazing. Uh, because like Mary is just so keen that I make sure that my daughters grow up as good feminists, knowing who they are in God and that sort of thing. But, but the point, uh, Mark is making a really important point. At the cross of Jesus, we find women. At the resurrection of Jesus, we find women. And women are not reliable. Okay, they're not. That, that was what this culture said. Women are not reliable. Their word would not stand, literally would not stand up in court. And at the very beginning, we see that what Jesus is doing is he is starting to reshape, recreate, remake humanity as it should be. Because humanity as it should be says that there is no slave or free, Jew or Greek, Male or female, for all are one in Jesus. Amen? You know, I remember the last time that I was preaching on a similar theme to this, when I was talking about how God doesn't uh, mind about, it's got nothing to do with gender, it's got to do with gifts. And I just have to tell you this. So on the Saturday before it, I was driving up to the rugby club with the girls to watch a rugby match. And Emily said to me, Daddy, when I'm older, can I play rugby? And everything inside of me wanted to go, no, you're a girl. You cannot play rugby when you're older. That's what I wanted to say as a guy who still, literally my ankles click going downstairs from, from a career of playing rugby. And I wanted to say, no, of course you can't. You're beautiful and you're, and you're just blonde and you're this girl and all of that sort of thing. And, and I saw a cross between God and Mary in my mind at that moment. And I thought, well, no, if... In God's kingdom, it's about gifting and not gender. Then so too it must be. And I said, Emily, if you want to play rugby, mummy will take you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 
But the point is, the point, sorry, that's a digression. The point is this. Jesus is calling together a new people. Jesus is calling together a new community. And in this new community, in this new community, people who should never have fitted in, fit in. That's why throughout Mark's gospel, we have, we have the demon possessed and they're coming to Jesus. We have the sick. Remember, you know, go back to those earlier parts of the gospel. We have the sick, the people who are judged by God. Peter's mother with the, with the fever, a sign of God's judgment. We have, we, ha- we have other sick people, a sign of God's judgment. We have, uh, we have the woman uh, bleeding, a sign of God's judgment and female uncleanness. And they're coming to Jesus and they're getting welcomed in. And then at the gospel, with the women getting placed at the center of the gospel account, it's like God is saying, I am doing a new thing. And everybody is invited. And I just want, I, I want to say something. I don't want to embarrass a group of people here this morning. But I just, I just want to say to you guys over, over here, like some of you guys are quite new in the Southside journey. Some of you have come from addiction background and, and all sorts of different backgrounds. And, and we just applaud you and bless you and love you for being part of our community here. But, but the thing for Southside to understand is that you guys are so, so important to us. I cannot speak enough over you guys. I don't want to embarrass you, but I, but, you know, so please don't be embarrassed, guys. But I cannot speak how important you guys are in the life of our community. And for the rest of you who don't come from that sort of background, well, remember that it's not because you're any better. It's not because you're any better. It's just because you've fallen into different holes, different pits, and some of them aren't as obvious as some of the pits that these guys fell into. None of us are any better. But the reason that I want to say that you guys are so important is this. We're a lovely middle-class community, aren't we? We're what the church in the UK should look like, white and middle class. Nonsense. But that is so often what the church in the UK does look like, isn't it? It's white and it's middle class. And yet what Jesus is doing when, when, uh, sorry, what God is doing when he inspires Mark to put the women at the center of the gospel account is he said, this community does not look like the community that you might have imagined, it looks like people called out of every single area. Remember about the temple we said, uh, we, we said it was prophesied. This, it's going to be a place for all nations, for all people. Where else could me and my former drug dealing brother come together? Do you know what I mean? But not only Charles, but any of you, where else could that happen except in this new community of people that God is putting together? The resurrection changes everything. It puts women as witnesses at the center, as a sign, a prophetic picture of what God is going to start to do. It's changing community. I was going to say it's changing community at a communal level. It's changing society at a communal level. It's changing what God's people look like. But it is also changing people at a personal level. Because if, I don't know if you noticed, but um, it's a, uh, the angel, well, we assume that this young man is an angel, says to the ladies, says to the women, go to my disciples and to Peter. And to Peter. And, and, and it isn't elevating Peter. This isn't like saying, go to my disciples and the big boss Peter. This is actually remembering, what has Peter done? At this point, Peter is 
broken. At this point, Peter not only thinks that Jesus is dead, but Peter thinks that he has betrayed Jesus in the most horrific way. He, he denied Jesus. And what we see in the angel's words to the women is this. Not only am I building a new community, a new community of people from every background, tongue, sex, age, all of that sort of thing, but I, I am creating a newness. I am remaking people as they were meant to be. Peter is told that he is going to be a leader in the church, isn't he? Jesus says, on this rock, you are Peter. You know, in the other Gospels, I think it says, that this wasn't revealed to you by, by, by human thought. This is something that God has revealed to you. And so Peter is the, is, the, is, is, is the daddy, so to speak. Peter is the man, and then he betrays Jesus, and he is broken. And what happens in these words of the angel to the women is you go to Peter and you tell him that his failure is not final. Peter's failure is not final. I absolutely love this phrase. Failure does not mean the end of discipleship or the defeat of God's purposes. Isn't that amazing? Failure is, uh, failure does not mean the end of discipleship or the defeat of God's purposes. And, and, and we need to hear that as well because we all screw up. We need to hear that because uh, as, as Paul makes clear in the letter to the Romans, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Paul makes clear elsewhere, doesn't he? That he says, you know, the good that I want to do, I can't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I do do. In other words, what he's saying is even after coming to know Jesus... I fail. And yet what we need to hear, what we need to cling to, what we need to hold to is that the resurrection that changes everything not only puts together this new community, but it says even when you mess up, the call of God is irrevocable. Even when you screw up, even when you make mistakes, Jesus is going to continue to use you and use you and use you. Failure does not mean the end of discipleship or the defeat of God's purple. The res purpose, the resurrection changes everything. For the community, it changes everything at a personal level, but it also changes everything for everything. Because this is where I want to jump forward into those bits that I said that Mark probably didn't write. Because uh, in verse 15, Jesus says this, go into all the world and preach the good news to all people. No? All creation, exactly. It doesn't say to all people. It says to all creation. I'm glad that somebody's got a Bible open in front of them. Uh, it, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And what we're seeing here is a reminder, a very important reminder for us, that everything is caught up in the eternal purpose of God. And, and I say this quite often, but I believe that we need, even just the fact that I paused there and nobody for a while picked up on what, the, what, what my deliberate mistake was. Everything is caught up in the eternal purposes of God. The, the gospel, you know, if you're just getting used to this, if you're just trying to figure it out, the, 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 the phrase that I like to use is the gospel isn't like a Red Bull gives you wings sort of gospel, you know, where they float up and sit on a cloud and you're absent from the body and all of that sort of thing. The gospel is intensely good news for everything. The gospel is intensely good news for everyone. The gospel is intensely good news in the most physical of, of, of senses. That is why 
Sorry, am I getting too excited? That is why as we journey through the gospel, Jesus fixes people. He doesn't just forgive sins. That is why as we journey through the gospel, he restores people who are demon-possessed to wholeness. He fixes people who are broken to wholeness. Because one day, you are going to be fixed, and I am going to be fixed, and creation is going to be fixed. It says in 1 Corinthians that all of creation is groaning, waiting for the day when the sons and daughters of God are going to be revealed. And what that means is this, that somehow, in a way beyond us, but in somehow... All of creation is going to enjoy the benefits of the resurrection. And just as Jesus was transformed at the resurrection, so are we going to be physically transformed at the resurrection. And for some of you, that's better news than others. But we are all going to be physically transformed at the resurrection. Billy's going to be a foot taller. Um, and don't get me started on Gemmel, but okay. But we, but we are going to be physically transformed, and creation is going to be physically transformed. And the groaning, and the pain, and and the disorder, and the brokenness is going to be no more. It is intensely good news for all of creation. And so, remember one of the key things in this gospel that we've learned about is that we are called to be signposts to something better, to that which is still to come, to that which is on its way, which is now and not yet. And so, how we live as signposts for all of creation isn't just that we preach the gospel, although that is part of it, but it is that we get involved in bringing, and again, not that we can speed up the return of Christ, Christ will come back when Christ comes back, but that we can get involved in doing future kingdom work now. And so I don't know if any of you have been watching Dynasties uh, with uh, David Attenborough, and, uh, and I saw some of his stuff on, on the BBC News this week and talking about the, the threat of climate change and that sort of thing. And, and, and do you know what, church? Right? Listen to this. The church should be leaders in combating climate change. We should be. Because actually, you know, if the gospel is intensely good news for all of creation, the church shouldn't just say, oh, well, that's, a, that's not a spiritual matter because everything is spiritual and everything is physical. It's impossible to say that's spiritual and that's physical. So the church should be involved in, in, in working to combat climate change. You see, getting rid of plastic, the church should be involved in that. You see, caring for all of creation and animals and all of that sort of thing, the church should be involved in that because if we believe what it says in the Bible, okay, and this, is, and this is the crux here, it's whether you believe the Bible or not, and I'm sure that many of you, if not all of you, would say, I believe the Bible, okay, but if that is true, and if you do not want to be accused of cherry-picking the Bible, then we need to be involved in things that for too long the church has ignored, or for too long the church has said, well, that's actually for airy-fairy liberals who don't really believe the gospel, but the gospel is good news for everything. Amen? Okay, those of you said amen, get going on it. And, and those of you who didn't, okay, you're the laggards that we talked about a couple of weeks back. No, you're not really. If the gospel is good news for everything, if the gospel is good news for everyone, there is not an area of this world which the light and cry of Jesus is not extended over.
Mark leaves his gospel in, in a kind of strange way, assuming that verses 9 and onwards don't come from Mark. You know, some people would say, I, I don't know that anybody would say that verses 9 and onwards are written by Mark. But again, just to stress they're in Scripture, they're God-breathed, they're useful, they're, they're, they are there, and we use them. But I want to return for a second to Mark's purpose in this. Okay? So for now, we're ignoring it. And we're going to finish with half ignoring verses 9 through to the end. Because some people would say that what happened is that Mark did have an ending to his gospel. I would probably personally think that that is quite likely. You know, that there are things that Mark has talked about. For example, in, verse, in chapter 14 and verse 28, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to go ahead to Galilee and I'm going to meet you there. And then the angel reiterates that to them here. Um, and, and so it would seem kind of odd that we don't have anything that, uh, of that meeting in Galilee. And so what some people would suggest, and again, I find this quite a, temp, quite a compelling thing to say, like Tom Wright would say this, for example. He would say that actually what's happened is that, and this happened all the time, uh, is that part of the document has been lost. That happens in history and there's no reason that that couldn't happen with the Bible because even though it's God's inspired word, which it absolutely is, it's still passed down through humans and as you all know, we mess things up. And so it could be that Mark has an ending, but there's also another really nice suggestion about Mark and this is where I kind of want to start to wrap things up for this series because if we flip back to chapter 1, you'll remember that it says this, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. And if you were here in week one, you'll remember, and I think I reiterated it maybe even last week or just a couple of weeks back, but you'll remember that we said that wasn't like uh, Mark saying, this is the beginning, this is the first verse of the gospel and therefore it is the beginning. What he was actually, that, that kind of like beginning is like a bracket around the whole of Mark's gospel. It's not just saying, this is verse one, this is the beginning. That would be kind of obvious. You don't have to write at the beginning of a letter, this is the beginning of my letter. People just know it's the beginning because it's the beginning. So when Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. What he's actually saying is that, the, that, the, that this uh, letter, probably as it would have been handed out at the time, in its entirety is the beginning of the gospel. And therefore, if Mark did deliberately leave it as it is at verse, at, at verse 8, the reason for that is because he's saying the whole gospel is the beginning and what we have now is the continuation. And it's almost like Mark could be saying, well, actually, if the whole of the gospel is the beginning, then the continuation is us. Or the continuation is the early church. And that's why we're moving on after Christmas to look at the book of Acts, because that is actually the continuation. It's like, it, that's the gospel, the return. <laughs> no, sorry. The gospel, the return is when Jesus comes back. That's like the gospel part two, okay? And gospel return is still to uh, be fully realized. But so, so there is that suggestion. We are living it out. And whether that is true or not, what an amazing challenge that is to us. This is the beginning of the gospel. You guys, me, us, we, the church in all the world, in all time, is the continuation of it. What a challenge. What a challenge. We are the continuation of the gospel today. You are the continuation of the gospel today. How does that make you feel? 
But it is true, whether that's exactly what Mark meant to happen or not, it is true because Jesus sends us out, as we've read, as we read in other places also, Jesus sends us out to continue to proclaim. But the thing that I want to leave us with, because I was going to ask, I was going to get a roving mic, and I was going to ask people to come up and say what their highlight in this series was. And then I was going to look for who raced to be first. Okay, because probably a lot of you can't even remember a lot of what's happened. I mean, that's it, you know. You don't have to feel sorry. You know, sometimes people come up to me and they're like, oh, Nick, we feel so sorry for you when you ask for a response and nobody gives it. It was four years on Friday since I was commissioned as pastor at Southside. Um, I don't care anymore. I just need to let you... Not, I don't care about that. I don't care about the lack of response. It's funny to me. I'm not, you know, I'm not even pretending that you're going to respond. In fact, I would probably faint in shock if you did so please don't but you know you don't have to feel sorry for me when I when I say this but and 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 I know I'm a realist I can't remember every single point from this series unless I had them all written down nevertheless I do pray that it has had an impact on all of us but that statement even in and of itself does make I'm like thinking about all these things that God has spoken to me And I can't remember them all. And you're probably thinking, or maybe one or two of you are, all of these things that God has spoken to us, aren't we failures that we can't remember every lesson and every verse and walk every single day in light of what Jesus has said to us? So listen to this. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark's gospel actually ends with a note of failure. They were afraid. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what was going on. But they were still told, go into into Galilee and tell them that he has risen. Tell the disciples what has happened. But they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And yet, just under 2,000 years later, we're here. The gospel ends with a note of failure. But we're here. The women were so afraid that they didn't go and tell anybody initially. But we're here. And what that tells us is this. And it's coming back to that point I made earlier about Peter, but it is so important that we grasp this as we seek to move forward living out these truths. Even when we don't respond faithfully, God continues to move. Because it is his gospel. And it is his work. 
I want to leave us with this challenge. And uh, I don't know how you take this season. I don't know how you go about Christmas. I don't know how you do any of that. But I still think that it is probably the most natural time of year, if you like, for us to share something of our faith. Not a sanitized version, not the kids' nativity version, as this article that I want to share with you next week is going to, is going to challenge us to think. But true faith, true faith in a holy God. But as we look at these guys, and eventually the message got out, so they must have somehow, uh, excuse the phrase, but manned up. The women must have, they must have plucked up their courage and gone out and done the stuff. Because we're sat here today. But the question that I want to leave us with is this. Will we flee in fear and become silent? Will the story die with us? Will we try to hunker down in our safe cocoons? Or will we obediently follow Jesus to Galilee and to the ends of the earth? This whole gospel is the start, the beginning of the story, the good news of Jesus Christ. How will we play our role in the continuation of that story. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. Jesus, you defeated death. Jesus, you are triumphant and you are king. And we are so often scared, apprehensive, weak, failing. And yet we're here. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would continue to inspire us continue to teach us, continue to call out a people for your own possession, continue to unite us, and continue to inspire us to play our part in the next chapter. We thank you that the end of the story is written that the beginning is written. Will you help us to play our role in all that you want to continue to do in all of creation? For we ask this in your life-giving name. Amen.